Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song in my song Hello and welcome back like to the, the podcast It is always up to speed with Formula One It is Thursday, July 14th, 2022 Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here to recap all the latest in the Formula One world this week. And boy, it's been a busy, busy week. But my friend, how are you tonight, sir? You, I was joking before we sat down to do this that you look how I feel, <laughs> which, you know, you probably were thinking about the same way when, when you know, you saw me walk in here too. But I mean, be no, honest, be fair. You look good. You look good. You're wearing a cap, so I can't see how your hair looks. Mine is a total Oh, you disarray. don't want to know. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know if we're streaming this one, so I don't know if anyone's going to notice, but it's been it's been one of those weeks. The good news is we've got so much good stuff. Well, actually, maybe some of this is not good, but we have so much interesting stuff to talk about with all of our listeners for the next three to four hours, however long we go. <laughs> well, three to four hours? Well, we're, we're running we're, we're running out of material this week. We're running yeah, short this week. What's the deal? <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because we never actually sit down and decide, this week I think we're going to go for X number of minutes or whatever like that. But it always seems like our, our built-in natural showtime seems to be like 90 minutes. And then when we throw Tim into the mix... You think that would screw things up too? It's like ninety minutes. I don't know what it is, but um, anyways, it's uh, it's all good. But yeah, there is a ton of stuff to talk about. But let's just wipe the palette clean here. Let's just back up for a second. We had the Austrian Grand Prix last weekend. Charles Leclerc winning that one. So let's just uh, recap the twenty twenty two Formula One Drivers World Championship. Got Max Verstappen leading two hundred eight points. Charles Leclerc from Ferrari with one hundred seventy points for second place. Sergio Perez the second. Red Bull driver, 151. Carlos Sainz, 133. George Russell, 128. And Lewis Hamilton, 109 points for the top six. If it was anybody else, they wouldn't get an, a mention in the honorable top six. But I mean, if you're a seven-time world champion, if you're Lewis Hamilton, you get thrown in there just by virtue of uh, who you are. So on the constructor side, uh, Red Bull still leading the way. 359 points, Ferrari 303, Mercedes 237, McLaren 81, and then Alpine rounding out the top five with 81. You know, when you look at the Drivers' Championship, you would think something like 50 or 60 points seems like an insurmountable obstacle. But when I look at the constructors, I see Red Bull on top with 359, I see Ferrari with 303. I can't help but think that this thing isn't quite over yet. It would really take something spectacular for Red Bull to blow it now. And I know we're only 50% uh, the, the way through the season, but I think that Ferrari might have a little bit more to say before it's all said and done until Ferrari, Ferrari themselves. And then we sit here and talk about how they could have done so much more. But also on the flip side, you have uh, Mercedes that have uh, kind of been making a little bit, I wouldn't say noise, but they've reminded us in the past 
couple of races, we should definitely not be forgetting about them. So we'll see who picks up uh, the more points in daily, the second half of the season. Daily. Yes. I don't yes, want sir. you to be deceptive towards our listeners, but you can't sit here and tell them the championship is basically over because they will cancel their subscriptions to this <laughs> podcast. I'm joking. I'm joking. That's and that's that's always my fear, right? Is I look at the I, I look at the standings, I look at the championships, and I start to do that math in my head. It's just like, e, are we getting to that point? So when Ferrari's successful, I get really excited because we we effectively extend the championship by a week or two every time every time Ferrari does well and and Red Bull and Max Verstappen has a, a less than stellar weekend. So again, we don't want to be deceptive, but I will be very open with the fact that I don't necessarily have a dog in the race that is the 2022 championship. I just want to see it. And I said this last year a thousand times, I want to see it go down to the last lap of the mm-hmm. last race of the season. Ideally, I don't want a race director to dictate the outcome once again, but I would like to see it go are down you, to the last weekend. Are, are you teasing at some of our show fodder for this week by like rehashing and dragging up Abu Dhabi from last year? Are, yeah, are I think we it's possibly- on page 17 of our outline. <laughs> it's a pretty big show this week. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, shout out to a couple of people in the live chat, Daniel, Alex and Connie. All uh, checking in. Hi, guys. Nice to to see you, quote unquote. Uh, Awesome to see uh, some of you checking in this evening. So let's uh, dive right into it, Mark. First one, this is kind of a funny, kind of a weird one, but I guess it kind of makes sense. So BMW is going to charge monthly fee to access heated seats in their vehicles in some countries. Now, I guess that kind of makes sense if you live in a country where heated seats are a bonus and where we live, that's obviously a nice perk to have in the winter. I must admit, I like having the heated seats in my car. I even like them in the summer too. You know, you get out of the office or you sometimes your back's a little bit tight. Turn on those seated seats or seated Seated, heated seats, what I can't even pronounce it anymore. Told you this has been a long week. Those heated seats, and then you know, kind of like makes you feel good. But this is kind of uh, interesting. So, in Austria, the UK, South Africa, New Zealand, BMW owners can pay up to $19 Canadian to $23 per month to access front heated seats or pay up to $500 to $540 Canadian to have it enabled permanently in those vehicles. So the hardware that is required for the seats is already installed in the vehicle, but purchasing the feature through BMW's Connected Drive store unlocks the feature for users through a digital update. So this is kind of neat, but I kind of see that they're almost taking like the sort of Apple model of like in-app purchases. <laughs> you know, you get like an app or a game or something like that. You're sitting here, do people still Candy Crush? I don't know if Candy Crush is still a thing, but you know, you can buy, you can get all these different things after the fact or like Strava, like for cycling is one. You can you can get the base Strava um, app and then you can buy all the add-ons afterwards. But I've never heard of it in a car before. But then again, I'm hopelessly out of touch with most things, but this is kind of neat, but kind of weird at the same time. Your thoughts, Mark? Neat. Neat. Okay, so I'm going to go in a different angle. And I should just remind you because I think you may have skipped the seven other laundry items for the introduction oh, of the show. I? There's some, oh, we can there's some good back. stuff in there. Okay, as long as you promise we will. So I think this is horrendous. <laughs> I think this is terrible. And it's something that the video game industry has embraced over the last decades this concept of you pay for the game. 50, 80, $100. Um, and then there are microtransactions and there are loot boxes. The video game industry has found ways to monetize video games in ways that the video game industry founders could never have imagined. We now live in a world where everything's subscription-based, right? Your Netflix account is a subscription. Your 
Spotify account is a subscription. And now the automakers are going to do the same thing. What's really frustrating or appalling about this is you're still buying the car and you're still buying all the hardware that's in the car. But now mm. to enable certain functions, you have to pay a monthly subscription. So this article speaks to the fact that heated seats in some countries will soon be a subscription. You pay for them, they're in your car. But if you want to use them, you have to pay a subscription. Now, there's some other things that are being considered here as well. I'm just going to quote here. Other features available as a monthly subscription include automatic high beam assist, heated steering wheels, adaptive cruise control with lane keep assist, and the built-in dash camera. The price of these range from anywhere from 15 to 54 dollars a month to unlock those functions last year last year in canada bmw actually tried charging a subscription to unlock carplay within the in-car entertainment system so if you have an iphone you could plug it in but if you wanted to use the carplay feature which everybody wants you Mm -hmm. had to pay a subscription to do that there was a massive consumer outcry and they backed down but this is this is terrifying imagine buying a fifty or sixty thousand dollar car, and then potentially paying three or four hundred dollars in monthly subscriptions to unlock hardware that you've already paid for. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. Now that I think about it, yeah, it's really not cool because uh, I started <laughs> thinking about all the other subscriptions I have. I got the F one TV Pro, and then to watch uh, English uh, Premier League, you've I've got like DAZN, which I paid like one hundred and fifty bucks for, and they lost the rights to EPL. That's now going over to Fubo TV, which I can now I think subscribe to through my cable provider, which is Telus here. And um, so that is that doesn't seem like much. It seems I think it's like six seventy five per month or starting at so god only knows where that's going to end up by the time you get everything you want then on top of that if i want to watch uh, the tour de france which is on right now and cycling in general there's gcn plus which runs at about 11 bucks per month or you know 100 and something per year if you drop it all at once but then if you want to watch the, the tour itself that's on flow bikes which is another premium subscription which runs at about 175 canadian per year it's just like, you know, we're almost getting subscribed to death. You know, it's yeah. it, it's crazy. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to walk back those those comments. Yeah, it, it's kind of neat. The technology is there. But now I think more about it. It's kind of it's being used in an evil, yeah. evil way. Evil now, I should full disclosure. My actual day job is principally developing and launching subscription-based services. So I am intimately, no, so the ones, and full disclosure, the ones that we produce and sell, I buy, I own, I think they're fantastic, but I feel like a little bit of transparency is due. Again, we are not paying or charging customers to unlock features of their computers or their TVs. Mm -hmm. Um, We're paying them for really great service or charging them for really great services. But in this case, the BMW example, horrendous. And if it's successful, even if they get traction, expect to see every manufacturer doing it. In fact, I think yeah. Toyota, um, actually the same article here says BMW isn't the only automaker that has locked away features behind a paywall. In late 2021, Toyota had announced that owners in the US wouldn't be able to use remote start with their key fob unless they paid an $8 per month subscription. So it's not just hmm. BMW, my friend. <laughs> well, you know, I should just uh, let people know that uh, there is now, if you want to listen to the second half of this show, you're going to have to subscribe. So, you know, that's <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't even it's know how you could do that. It's a subscription that we alluded to earlier. <laughs> that's right. But hey, you're right. I did jump ahead on the schedule. There was some really important updates that I did walk right past without even noticing. So apologies uh, for that, because uh, those were your things. I know you wanted to give uh, an update on the Scootery F1 Fantasy League. 
unfortunately they're running like a windows 3.1 based website or something so their site yep. is down yep so unfortunately that, yeah we won't be able to do that but you had a couple really worthwhile and very important things to tell everyone about so i'm going to shut up now which i should have done like minutes ago and no it's good it's your- good man <laughs> uh, so first thing kudos to you last saturday uh, we had the opportunity to sit down with uh aston martin formula one and driver ambassador Jessica Hawkins, you did that interview on very short notice. You did a fantastic yes. job. And it was Thank one you. of those interviews that's particularly challenging because she's on site at a Grand Prix with all the noise and buzz that's happening around her. You don't have yep. her as captive. And when we typically do interviews, the the subject is captive. You know, they're sitting down, they've made time, mm-hmm. they're in a podcast studio, or they're sitting in their apartment at home. So I think you did a great job. And there were some really interesting things that I learned from from that podcast that I was thought was really interesting. And one of them I, I should just add is even for Jessica, and we talk so much about how young drivers have challenges recruiting sponsors and accruing the funds necessary to compete. I thought it was incredibly interesting when she was talking about the fact that like, look, there's a lot of young drivers that test all off season. She's like, I don't get to test at all off season. So some really cool revelations. And if you haven't heard mm-hmm. that interview, go and check it out. Kudos to Aston Martin for helping us arrange that. A couple of other quick things I want to put on the list today. Marshall reached out earlier today, reminded us that this weekend is the Indy, the Toronto Indy. This is the first time it's been held in three races. And he let me know something that I didn't know about. Free Fan Friday at the Toronto Indy. For fans that show up to the compound, to the racetrack, if they make a donation to Make-A-Wish Canada upon entry, they'll be granted free admission for the day. That enables them to walk around the track, climb into the grandstands, watch the free practice session. Really, really, really cool. And Make-A-Wish has managed to raise $820,000 in recent years uh, as a as a byproduct of this. And then finally, one other really cool thing to look forward to. Obviously, the summer break is coming up. It's not a mm-hmm. summer break for us, but that's a cool thing because we've lined up some really cool interviews. We will be interviewing Steph Wentworth of Formula One. She has been in the paddock and on the track at a number of races doing coverage for Formula One for Liberty. Very, very cool. I've known her for a couple of years. She does fantastic analysis and she has a really mm-hmm. cool YouTube channel. Excited about that. Trey Kirby of the No Dunks and the No Breaks podcast on The Athletic. We'll be sitting down with him on July 27th for an interview. I'm particularly interested in this one because one of the podcasts he's on is the first podcast I listened to in a really meaningful way going back to 2007. So he's on the No Dunks podcast, which was previously the starters on TNT, which was previously TBJ on The Score in Canada. Super excited to sit down with Trey. And then this is a huge one as well because I'm a huge Grantland fan, a huge Ringer fan, and a big Bill Simmons fan. Kevin Clark will be sitting down with us potentially the last week of August to talk Formula One. So we've got some big, big, big interviews coming up. So to Steph Wentworth, Trey Kirby, Kevin Clark, thank you all in advance for making time for us. We uh, really appreciate it here on the Skidaria F1 podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Those are going to be uh, awesome. Looking forward to hearing those ones. And I just wanted to just uh, circle back and just quickly talk about Jessica because I thought it was very interesting because there were some of those similar stories and similar themes that have come up with some of the other drivers that you've uh, interviewed in your interview series over the past six to eight months. So it's not just a North America thing. It seems to be a global thing. And, you know, unfortunately it seems to be a lot about, uh, you know, the female drivers as well. So it just sort of pops up over and over again. But I just want to talk about like how impressed I was with uh, Jessica. Not only was she extremely fun and fascinating and interesting to talk to, 
she was such a pro because as you heard towards the end of that uh, that interview we had like 20 minutes to, to do this thing it was all one take we didn't get any chance to do it over again and then i think the porsche super cup or whatever call, uh, is called started up and it got really loud so i was sitting here with the benefit of having noise canceling headphones i had my mic it's quiet it was 4 30 in the morning here on the west coast in the pacific time zone it's like one o'clock or two o'clock whatever it was there at the red bull ring she was in a motorhome. She had no microphone, no headset, and full credit to her when those noisy cars kept going around the track there. She had to lean right in and literally put her head up against the speakers on the uh, whatever it was, a laptop, a Mac, whatever it was, to, to hear what I was saying. And she did not miss a thing. She answered everything like it was, you know, we were sitting down, you know, across a table from one another, just having a casual chat. I have nothing but good things to say about her. And I'm just uh, really, really, really impressed. So that that was really, really cool. And like you said, big thanks to, uh, to Aston Martin for, for help setting that one up. That theme, so, by the way, that you're yeah. speaking to, that that common thread amongst all these drivers, whether it was Amber Balkin or Matt Clark or Megan Gilks. Oh, yeah, Matt as common, well, yep. That common thread is securing funding to be able to go and race. And Amber talked about the fact that 99% of her time is spent courting and recruiting and working with sponsors to get the funding to go racing. And Max spoke yep. about the fact that there's been times that he's gone scrounging for used tires. And even Megan, you know, I, I once said, hey, good luck this weekend. You're, you're going to be racing at Brands Hatch. It's like, not if I don't get the funding. And it's incredible. And the other thing about the Megan thing too is the Megan connection actually helped us coordinate the, yes. the Jessica interview because of course, Megan, who's an aeronautical engineering student at London College in the UK, is actually going to be an engineering intern at Aston Martin this fall. So really great connection uh, to develop there. Please yeah. go, go. I interrupted. <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh, I noticed actually there you have your sheet there uh, ready with the, the next item. Another one of these uh, really cool little graphics that you've managed to to dig up. And this is a percentage of 22 share points between uh, teammates. So I've already done enough talking and we're only like, what, 15 minutes into this thing. So <laughs> why don't you take this one, Mark? Yeah, this one's pretty interesting. And some of this probably doesn't come as a surprise. And by by digging, you mean I went to Reddit app on my phone when I should have been working. But uh, credit <laughs> out to ADZ Boogie on Reddit. Interestingly, it kind of shows the point split between the teams. So we'll quickly run through this. Uh, if you look at the Williams team, not a surprise. Albon has 100% of the points, three to zero. Bottas leaves his rookie teammate, 46 to five. Vettel leads Stroll, 15 to three. Norris leads his teammate, Ricardo, 64 points to 17. Magnussen is up on Mick Schumacher, 22 to 12. But again, Mick earned all of those points in the last two Grand Prix. Two races, so he's, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's picking it up. Uh, Esteban Ocon, 52 to Alonso's 29. That is a bit of a surprise because I hadn't looked mm -hmm. at that before. Gasly up 16 to 11 to Yuki. Uh, Verstappen is up 208 to 151 against Perez. Leclerc's up 170 to 133 to Carlos Sainz. And then George Russell up 128 to 109 to Hamilton. And of course, Hamilton's now secured three straight podiums. So he's starting to close that delta. Uh, did you want to take the next one? I just want to stick on this one for a second because uh, not only is ADZ Boogie uh, put down that comparison, kind of like the, the, the points compared from teammate to teammate, he's also done a really good job because he's uh, put into to context what percent of the points that, that that represents, right? So if you look at the McLaren, Norris has 64, Ricardo has 17. 
So Lando right. scored 79% of McLaren's points. But where I think Oof. it gets really interesting is if you look at the top three teams, Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes, you have Verstappen 208, 151 for Perez. Leclerc has 170 compared to 133 for Carlos Sainz. 54, uh, sorry, uh, Russell has 128 compared to 109 for Hamilton. But when we break it down into percentages, 58 to 42 for Red uh, for, in the Red Bull team, Verstappen versus Perez. In Ferrari, it's 56% uh, versus 44% between Leclerc and Sainz. At Mercedes, it is 54% versus 46% for Lewis Hamilton. So there's differences, obviously, in the drivers and the constructors' championships, but when you consolidate all those points and put them all together, the ratios of which those number one drivers and those teams are scoring their points are fairly consistent. But, I mean, you can look at that. Okay, Verstappen, arguably the number one driver at Red Bull. Ferrari, that's still a question. And Mercedes, the number one driver would be Lewis Hamilton. So, you know, maybe me saying the number one driver is, you know, scoring the majority of the points isn't really the, uh, isn't entirely correct. But I think that is very, very fascinating. Just those deltas relatively within those three teams are very, very similar within, a you know, four percentage points at the very, very most. All right, so the next one, this is very, very interesting as well. Uh, damage costs for 2022 so far. So leading the way, and this comes at formula un- underscore stat analysis. Uh, number one is Williams with $4 million. Haas, 3.4. Aston Martin, 3.33 million. Mercedes, 3.29 million. Uh, Alpine 3.02 million, Alfa Romeo 2.87 million, Ferrari 2.65 million, McLaren 1.34 million, uh, where did I go? Red Bull 1.24 million, and Alpha Tauri 1.14 million in damage costs this year. And I think that is a fascinating statistic, especially when you look at the Red Bulls, because they had some very, very notable DNFs and mechanical problems right in the first couple of races of the year. But when you look at that repair bull, it only it only <laughs> adds up to one and a quarter million dollars. And Mercedes is more than double that. One of their direct uh, rivals, Ferrari, despite all the problems they have uh, or have been having, their uh, repair bill comes in at two point six five million. But Williams, where the hell did that come from? Four million dollars. I know that uh, they, they've had some big moments, but wow. Four million bucks in damage costs this year. We're only 50% the way through the season, not even. But the funny thing is, if you look at this list, the two, I was going to say the two best performing teams, but I mean, the two worst performing teams, Williams with $4 million and Haas with $3.40 million, they are arguably the two teams least equipped to suffer these losses. You talk about access to funds and sponsorships. These are the two teams that can least afford to suffer that type of damage. Uh, but yeah, interesting. And then the other graph, do you mind if I jump into the other one real quick? Sorry, the I just uh, skipped over the other graphic there beside it. Okay, so the uh, driver retirements. Okay, so let's uh, take a look. So uh, Science leans the way with uh, four retirements, followed by Gu- uh, Joe Guan Yu with four, Albon, Gasly, uh, K-Mag, and MSC, and also Perez, three retirements each. 
Alonso Bottas, Latifi, and Charles, and Yuki, and Verstappen, and Vettel all have two. Uh, Norris, Ocon, Ricardo, Russell, and Stroll all have one retirement. And the only guy to finish every lap of every race in the 2022 Formula One World Championship thus far is Lewis Hamilton. So 24 retirements are as are a result of technical uh, failures. 18 of those retirements are due to accidents. Again, this is a very, very interesting statistics. And that comes courtesy of at F1 underscore charts, if you want to check that one out. Anything, what, what stands out for you the most, sir? I think the ratio of technical to actual crash damage uh, is is a little bit different than than I would expect. But I think part of that is probably driven by the fact that the teams are still adjusting to the new regulations. I think what we can probably anticipate is that technical failures or power unit failures should largely evaporate in the next couple of years because teams will no longer be iterating on the design. So hopefully those solidified concepts will become more reliable. I would expect that come 2026, we will see some really significant reliability and technical issues in the first half mm-hmm. of the full, first full season. Um, two other things before we jump into the stories, uh, a couple of other things I want to touch on real quick. These were tweets from Adam Stern. So Adam Stern here at ESPN2 earned an 0.5 rating and 1 million viewers for Sunday's F1 race in Austria, up from 950k viewers for the last year, or for last year's second race at the Red Bull Ring, which was the closest in calendar date to this year's race. That's the most viewed race from Austria on record. So again, ratings continue to get really strong, which is good because ESPN appears to be locking it for a couple of years. And then another one that I thought was really fascinating because I didn't know this brand had any relevance at all, let alone the money to partner with a big team like McLaren. But mm-hmm. McLaren F1 has hit a new deal with, and guys, listeners, keep me audience or keep me honest, I haven't owned any products from this company in 20 years. I don't know how to say this, but McLaren has a new deal with LA-based K-Swiss to become an official partner of the team and the shoemaker will create new footwear and apparel collections for the team and its fans. So Micah, you and I were talking the other day about LRG slipping into irrelevance. I thought this company no longer existed, but apparently they still have the money to partner with McLaren. That, that's actually amazing because, uh, like you say, I, I don't think I've ever owned anything uh, by them. I've always kind of been like a, a Nike kind of person. But, you know, that's that, that's amazing that, number one, they're around and they're relevant and they got the money to, to partner with McLaren. So, I mean, that that's a big score for them. That's uh, you totally. know, well done to K-Swiss. Okay, let's take a, a, a break here because we got more McLaren stuff to talk about. Get a drink, get some popcorn, get comfortable. This is going to take a while to get through, and we'll do so in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be back after a very short break. So don't go away. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. 
Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Well, welcome back. And Mark, where do we start? Because there is I, a I know ton. where to start. You know where to start. I, okay. I played this out in my head a couple of times because <laughs> I went crazy. So I didn't know any of this was happening. And then I was scrolling through Lily Herman's Instagram stories a couple of days ago. I was just like, I was I was seeing these screenshots or screenshots, screenshots from people's Twitter's account and my head blew up. And the first thing I started thinking about was how are we going to present this on the podcast? So couple of days ago, Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday, at about 3.30 p.m., the Chip Ganassi Racing Team issued a press release. And in this press release, they said that Alex Palo, who is their champion driver, he's in his third year in Indy, he's from Spain, he won the championship last year, he's currently fourth, he has four podiums this year, an absolute spark plug and has a great, great addition to Indy. He always reminds me of a MotoGP driver, but I think that's just because he's Spanish. That aside, they issued a statement on Tuesday at around 3.30 p.m. And it said, basically, we've re- we've picked up his option for 2023. We're incredibly happy that he's going to be coming back. And in that press release was a quote from Alex that reads, it's a great feeling to know that I'll be back with Chip Ganassi Racing next season. The team welcomed <laughs> me with open arms from day one. And I'm excited to keep working with Chip. And it goes on and on where he's he's giving his flowers to the team and thanking them for all of their support and how happy he is to be back. So that was about 3.30 p.m. About three hours later, about three hours later, he tweets himself and he tweets this. I have recently learned from the media that this afternoon, without my approval, Chip Ganassi Racing issued a press release announcing that I would be driving with CGR in 2023. Even more surprising was that CGR's press release included a quote, which did not come from me, the one I just read. I did not approve that press release, and I did not author or approve that quote. As I've recently informed CGR, for personal reasons, I do not intend to continue with the team after 2022. Five (laughs) minutes Five wow. minutes after that tweet, McLaren tweets. <laughs> this is where it gets so juicy. <laughs> McLaren tweets. McLaren Racing welcomes IndyCar champion Alex Palo to its driver roster from 2023 as the team continues to build talent across all of its racing series. Our full driver lineup across all racing series will be confirmed in due course. And it goes on to say that Alex, alongside his racing duties next year, will also test with McLaren F1 team as part of its 2021 MCL 35 M1 F1 car testing program with fellow drivers, Pato Award and Colton Herta. Now, this is crazy because earlier in the week, Colton Herta actually tested in the MCL 35M at Portimao in Portugal, because of course the team, McLaren, Colton want to get a super license point so he can eventually make his way into Formula One. So all of this is going on. All of this craziness is going on. And then to top it all off, 
Daniel Ricardo then tweets. Well, he doesn't tweet. He puts up a statement on Instagram saying, I am committed to McLaren until the end of next year, and I am not walking away from the sport. I appreciate it hasn't always been easy, but who wants easy anyways? I'm working my ass off with the team to make improvements and get the car right and back to the front where it belongs. I still want this more than ever. See you in France. So Daniel effectively is forced to react to the fact that one, Colton Herta is actively testing for McLaren. McLaren is reminding the world that Pato Award and Colta are part of their driver's program. And then McLaren announces that they're bringing the IndyCar champion from 2021 over to their driver program as well. Now, the one thing about, and I'm going to, I can't wait to hear your reaction. The one thing about that McLaren announcement was it's very, very elusive as to where any of these drivers will actually be. But mm-hmm. it was alarming enough that. Daniel felt he had to be defensive and put out a statement. Now, my honest opinion here is that McLaren was hoping that Daniel was going to walk away from the option that he had for 2023, which would make it very easy for them because they have a whole slew of options to bring into this team. Now, where it gets even more juicy, and I promise I'm almost done, is (laughs) Australian Mark Webber, who has an F1 talent management team called Jam Management. Mark Webber has been lobbying McLaren to sign one of his clients, Oscar Piastri, who is also an Australian driver. He has been lobbying McLaren to drop Daniel Ricciardo and sign Piastri for 2023. Now, people had assumed he was going to go to Williams. That hasn't materialized yet. And it looks like it's because his manager, his agent, Mark Webber, is trying to shop for a better deal. So that was 10 minutes, but Holy moly, it's been a busy week in Formula One. Man, oh man, oh man. I don't even know where to start with this one. So what? where, where does this all go back? So did, <laughs> like I say, I don't even know where to start. I don't even start. know. <laughs> so, okay, so this was all started off by an announcement by Chip Ganassi Racing. What is yep. the status with Chip Ganassi? Did they clarify? Did they walk anything back? I mean... I, I can I can see getting a little bit trigger happy and maybe tweeting out or making a, a press release about a, a deal that maybe they thought was going to get done that doesn't happen. Okay, I can see that happening. But this phantom statement for from Palu that didn't actually come from him came from who knows? It was channeled from aliens or something and just ended up yeah. in that statement. <laughs> what what is the latest? Did they clarify anything? Because I mean that that is kind of like what it all set off because everybody's yeah. reacting so they to did. that, right? Okay. They did, and they've basically reaffirmed that he is under contract to that team for 2023. They're standing oh. their ground. And they have provided wow. no clarity on uh, they have not responded to Alex's comment other than to reinforce that they believe he's under contract for 2023. So you effectively have two teams mm. that are arguing that he's under contract to them. That's interesting. So uh, me thinks lawyers are going to get involved <laughs> <Yes>. because <laughs> you know, obvious statement of the evening. But uh, obviously, th- to me, it seems that his contract must be worded in such a way that two different parties are interpreting it in two different ways. And both of them think that they are correct in their interpretation. Alex and in thinking that he can walk away from this thing at the end of the year and CGR thinking, uh, 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 you're not going anywhere. You're going to be driving. Yeah for Chip Ganassi yep. racing next year so you're not going anywhere my friend but wow i mean that i mean 
that's just crazy. I mean, though that that in itself, I mean, the whole phantom statement is another one, but then the whole reaction, just McLaren shortly thereafter making that uh, you know, tweeting something out that he's joining, he's gonna be testing, the whole Ricardo thing, and then the whole Weber thing. That that's crazy. I, I didn't even realize that Mark Weber had his own driver Neither agency. I'm I not even not, gonna lie. I did not know either. Yeah, yeah. I I really did uh, did not know that he was involved in that. Um, I I know that Piastri obviously has been a name that has been thrown out there a lot over the past year to eighteen months. I'm kind of guessing. I mean, it, it's not like he's completely new to the scene. I mean, he he's been linked to Formula One, one way or another, for at least uh, I would say this time last year, probably even a little bit longer. But now it's kind of taken a bit of a different twist to it. With uh, with Mark apparently lobbying, or sorry, McLaren to dump Danny Ricardo, it's like wow that that that's that's I, I mean I would not be I'm, I shouldn't say I'm surprised to hear that because I'm sure that sort of stuff goes on all the time, not just in Formula One but in sports in general when you have agents lobbying coaches and GMs and God only knows who what uh, you know who to try and get their their property their talent into whatever sport it might be. So that that really isn't too much of a surprise. But yeah, I mean those those comments from from Danny Ricardo, it's just like it's just like he must have had like like a text from somebody's like, dude, you gotta say something like right now. Get off your bike, get out of the pool, get out of the bathtub, the shower, whatever. You need to do this right now. <laughs> it's just like it, it's just a, it's just such a bizarre situation. It's just a, it's incredible. I I mean, we're used to seeing strange things happening in Formula One and strange things happening in, in motorsport. I just don't recall anything even close to this in the past. Yeah, I neither do I. And I think part of this is really accelerated by social media. I think 15, sure, 20 sure. years ago, Alex Alex wouldn't have been able to get onto social media and immediately dispute that that media statement from Chip Ganassi. So that 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 plays a role here, but but at the same time, Daniel wouldn't himself have been able to defend his position so quickly. I just I think it's really peculiar, and I really want to know what that relationship is like right now between Zach and Daniel behind closed doors. Like I, I gotta think, and I I'll give Zach Brown the benefit of the doubt that he's a professional and they are legitimately mm-hmm. doing everything they can to to make Daniel successful in that car. But he's inadvertently or unintentionally damaging the reputation of the team and he's damaging his own personal reputation despite building up a decade of really great equity as being a great sportsman and a really talented driver and obviously last year was an anomaly last year's uh, struggles have certainly continued over but what we do know is that his contract runs through 2023 but 2023 is a driver option and I've said this before Formula One does not have a collective bargaining agreement there is no organizational body that can lobby on behalf of the driver so the reality is is that if he struggles through the end of this year that's a personal services contract McLaren can just pay it out they can pay mm-hmm. him off so I think from Daniel's perspective he did the right thing here which is he's not going to roll over and take it. I have a contract. It is my seat and I'm going to do everything I can to retain it. But it also sure. puts Zach on the back foot because you have to think that McLaren's like, you know what? If he continues to struggle, maybe he opts out. We don't have to look like the bad guy and we can slide in one of these talented youngsters that we're stacking up on in our minor, and effectively in our minor league system. Uh, but now they're in a position where he is going to opt into 2023 regardless of the outcome of 2022. And now McLaren's either got to commit to him or they're going to have to buy him out at a significant cost. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just an incredible situation. And I mean, we're we're in the part of the year that is the silly season anyways, when it comes to drivers and contracts and all this sort of stuff. But this is, you know, silly, even for silly season. But I think it would be a little bit, uh, we, we'd be derelict of duty if we just didn't also address uh, Colton Herta's test in the car, the uh, the MCL. Oh, good call, good call. Yeah, because uh, there, there was a couple of uh, good quotes in here on the racedash.com. And uh, Colton had to say, quote, it was a lot of fun. Great two days getting acclimated to the car, which is obviously quite a bit different of, uh, to what I'm used to driving. A little bit of a different driving style, but the engineers were very helpful getting me up to speed. And what a car, what a car to drive. It's really special not only to have a first test in a Formula One car, but a race winning Formula One car is even cooler. It was a great opportunity for me. I have to thank Mr. Seidel, McLaren team principal, and Zach Brown, and everybody for allowing me to borrow their car for the last two days. So just uh, to put it all together, Colton had 162 laps, 750K or 466 miles around uh, the Port of Mouse circuit. And uh, so that's basically two and a half uh, race distances. And he uh, tried out several different types of the Pirelli uh, tire compound. So very, very cool. And, you know, Colton's a guy that we've been watching for a while, uh, not only his career in IndyCar, but just those links, you know, these sort of tenuous links to Formula One. So it's it's finally starting to come to fruition. So at least from a testing point of view. So let's see where it goes from here. Okay, have have we tied this one all together now? We're done. We're done. <laughs> We're we can done. move on to okay. something else. Okay, well, something else. And and this one is by no means done. So apparently Honda is admitting that the door isn't quite c- closed on a potential return to Formula One. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it's funny because it, it seems like ever since they announced when was the beginning of last year that they were going to be leave Formula One at the end of 21 and then they were going to be in the support role for 22. And then it's just like, you know, talk about imprecise language around things like that. Honda, I mean, they're really, really confusing me and a lot of different uh, people. Anyways, um, they, they have not ruled out a full return to Formula One somewhere down the road. Take it away from there, Mark. Com, motorsport.com report that senior Honda staff, including Honda CEO Toshihiro Mibe, Chairman Seiji Kurayashi, Honda Racing Corporation President Koji Watanabe, and Director Yusaki Asaki were all in attendance at last weekend's Austrian Grand wow. Prix. The wow. report from motorsport.com reveals that Watanabe has not ruled out a return to the top flight of motorsports. And I quote here, Formula One is the top motorsports category, so we are always watching as happening what is happening in the Formula One world. He said, of course, we just finished and concluded our activity, so nothing has been discussed within the Honda company about the 2026 season. No plan, but it is not a closed door. My understanding now is F1 is discussing to decide the regulations for 2026, and definitely the direction is now carbon neutrality. That is the same direction as us at Honda. So we don't have to diverge from carbon neutrality if we were to stay in F1. It is probably also a good opportunity to study carbon neutral F1, so it's not a closed door. I think there are several factors we need to watch, he continued. Um, but once we decided to conclude F1 because of mass production road cars and carbon neutrality, first we need to concentrate on this side, then we can realize we can achieve this, we can continue F1. And then finally, blah, 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 all the way at the bottom here, he says, um, I don't know the exact time frame needed 
to determine a return to F1 for 2026, but he believes it would have to happen within one to one and a half years. So still lots of time. Mm. The other thing in this motorsport.com report is the, not the consensus, but the confirmation that Red Bull does not own and has never owned Honda's IP, that Honda is for all intenses, still an engine supplier for that team. And furthermore, uh, Honda uh, president CEO uh, Watanabe goes on to say that his preference is to explore getting Honda badging back on the Red Bull and Alpha Tauri cars for next mm. year. Wow. Which could be really fascinating. That is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, you know, th- this is a story that uh, just does not want to go away. I mean, they, they had the, the, you know, certainly, I, I'd say, good motives to pull out of Formula One, and that was to focus on the electrification of their road fleet, which would obviously take a lot of work and a lot of effort to, to do so. But it just felt a little bit, the, the timing or the, the, the timing of the announcement when it was made just felt a little bit kind of funny because, I mean, Formula One was sort of in the ascendancy, right? And Formula One still is. I mean, you you read off those numbers a little earlier for the Austrian Grand Prix that came from uh, Adam Stern over at ESPN. So the numbers are increasing all the time. And this, this segues nicely into the next story. And that comes from Joe Sayward, that, who's reporting that BMW might be looking at a return to Formula One partnering with McLaren. Here's McLaren again. I mean, geez, they're all over the news this uh, week. But there is uh, you know, a possible road car deal between McLaren and uh, BMW. And there's also suggestion that they might come back into Formula One because if you look at some of the other German car manufacturers that are going to be in Formula One over the next uh, several years, it's not just going to be mercedes anymore so it's going to be porsche it's going to be audi and then when you look at those sort of those uh you know really you know exclusive luxury brands bmw not being there in that conversation is a glaring hole so it's almost like they're being peer pressured (laughs) to rejoining formula one so i mean if that's true then they must be having a bit of a similar thought process that uh, that honda's having i mean honda's obviously a little bit different to where they are right now you know, as, a, as an engine supplier and pulled out and then sort of staying in and kind of, a, you know, got one foot in the bathtub and the other <laughs> out on the, the, the tile floor in the bathroom, right? But uh, this this just gets more and more interesting all the time. And it's just like a couple of years ago, they were almost screaming and begging for people to join Formula One. Now it's like they're almost having to chase people away. I mean, it's not quite that uh, to, the, to that stage now, but certainly a lot of people uh, are interested it's, in the sport. It's funny, right? You right. institute a cost cap and you simplify the engine formula. The sport ascends in popularity. And to your point, now you have people banging on the door. I think there may be something to this one. So BMWblog.com reports that there are rumors swirling that BMW and McLaren may be joining forces again after, of course, collaborating on the iconic 1990s F1 um, to develop a super hyper, I should probably not use so much hyperbole, but a joint developed electric super car. So there could be a partnership there. Now, the one thing I would add just about this topic before we, before we move on to the next story is obviously McLaren is being supplied engines by Mercedes. That is not ideal. That is not what they want. And I don't believe it's necessarily what Mercedes wants. They just don't have a choice. The Renault situation was an ideal. The Honda situation Mm -hmm. didn't work out and they are not 
themselves a big enough organization to develop a new power unit on their own, even with the cost cap, even with the simplified engine formula. This could be a great opportunity for BMW to come in as a partner with an existing team. They could be effectively become a pseudo works team, but I think there may be something here. I think we need to look to see how the partnership between McLaren and BMW plays out uh, with the road car project. And then we'll see if there may be something there. But I will say this, McLaren does not like having its car design and philosophy dictated by a Mm -hmm. power unit that they have to buy from another team. That is not what their grand ambition is as a premier Formula One team. And, you know, I was talking to Ben the other day and he was reminding me of the fact that it's been decades since a customer team has won a championship, right? Like it's very unusual for customer teams to be successful in Formula One. And there's a reason for that. It's because when you're buying somebody else's engine, that informs the way you design your car. And it's not the way you necessarily want to design your car. Well, that's very much the issue that uh, that Red Bull was having with the uh, with the Renault power units up till a couple of years ago, right? And 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 that was what really worked so well with that Honda partnership. And look how successful they became very very quickly because the the thing was with with the Renault power unit is just like okay, this is our power unit. You guys figure out how it's going to the back of your car. But there was a lot more synergy, a lot more teamwork between Honda and Red Bull. And I just remember in the early days of that partnership how Christian Horner, who always seemed a little bit, he seemed more chagrined and a little bit more frustrated as time went on in the partnership with the, with Renault and the comments that, that, that they were making. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're working with Honda and it's just he's, talking, he's glowing about the teamwork and how easy they are to work with, uh, with, the, uh, you know, with, with, with each other. I'm sure a lot of that was... was you know, on purpose, you know, to sort of you know dig at uh, Renault and Surreal Abitabool and, and and those guys, right? But uh, no, I, but there was something to it. I mean, there was a lot more cooperation between Honda, between Red Bull, and I can see certainly why there would be a little bit of consternation from McLaren, even though they they'd obviously would you know they they got to be happy with Mercedes power. It's just there are the little things around it that obviously bug them that you so correctly uh, point out. Before we head into a break, I just want you to take this one. Apparently, Nick Heidfeld, a former Formula One driver, has been up to something with BMW. What's what's going on there? I don't know. What story are you, you referring to? <laughs> well, you, you, you put it into the show notes and then linked to, to, to a couple of videos uh, that apparently he went to the uh, Munich uh, factory for a demonstration. And uh, he was there for about 45 minutes and gave about 500 of the uh, the employees there um, you know, some time to enjoy a demonstration with a, a Formula One car. Full disclosure, Daily. I did get a, a chance to watch the video. I was hoping you were going to rescue me. Now I'm regretting I opened my mouth, which Daily, I I don't even see about. that story on the outline. What oh, is going dude. on here? Dude, it's in your show notes. Anyways, let's, before we dig ourselves a, di- a deeper <laughs> hole. <laughs> let's, let, take a break. Let's, let's take a break and reset. Yeah, we got some heavy lifting to do on the other side. And so we'll do that after we have a quick break and we'll reset because the tone's going to get a little uh, darker, a little heavier, but we got to talk about it and we'll do so in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back to the show. And yes, it is time to dive into some heavier topics, not something that I particularly enjoy uh, talking about or necessarily want to talk about. But when it comes to unpleasant things, you know, sometimes the best thing to do is just to address it head on because it's better to bring it out into the light and discuss it rather than letting them sit there and fester in the dark. And this is an opinion piece by Luke Smith on uh, motorsport.com, which is titled, quote, F1 must act on abuse. No fan should attend a Grand Prix and not want to go back. So, you know, there was a a lot of reports of things going on last weekend at the Red Bull Ring. I talked about it with Tim on the race recap on Sunday night, and it's, you know... You know, it's you know homophobic slurs, slurs, racist slurs, misogynism, all sorts of unpleasant things. And sure, you can not want to go back to a Grand Prix because you went to a Grand Prix and you just decided it wasn't for you. But you should not be put in the position that you've been, you know, subjected to horrible abuse and torments by obviously a very, very small minority of people. I mean. 99.9999999% of people know racism is wrong. We know that homophobia is wrong and transphobia and uh, misogyny, etc. We all know that. Unfortunately, there are still bad actors out there that insist on partaking in these antisocial and idiotic behaviors. And it's just unacceptable. Like Tim and I talked about ban them for life if you can figure out who they are and make sure that they don't show up again. I don't know how you do it, but the thing is, if we don't talk about it and other people doing podcasts don't talk about it or people in the media don't talk about it, it's not going to become an issue. It is an issue. We need to talk about it and clearly state what our expectations are, what is over the line, and behavior like that has no place in Formula One, it has no place anywhere in in civilized society, and it is just unacceptable and I, yeah, i'm i'm really agree. distressed that that it, it happened at uh, the red bull ring apparently it's not the only instance that this year and at other places i guess that shouldn't be a, a surprise but you know quite frankly if you're not outraged or upset about this then you know i don't know what to say about that because you should be yeah and i, I completely agree with your philosophy on talking about this and we need to continue talking about it because if this is kept in the dark it is kept in the shadows you normalize this kind of behavior we need to identify and we need to shame and we need to ban these people from these events and ultimately shame on the organizers of the Australia Austrian Grand Prix and i'm just going to read a quote here because friend of the show Elizabeth Blackstock was actually at the Austrian Grand Prix in 2015 and i'm just going to mm-hmm. quote something she wrote in Jalopnik this week but and i quote i attended the Austrian Grand Prix in 2015 where I camped with a group of people who all identified as women. And the problem was evident even back then. While I had a wonderful time with my friends, these reports on social media made me look at back at my experiences, recall some of the more negative encounters I had that I mostly tried to ignore. The biggest one, during our first day there, I knew that going to the bathroom alone was probably going to be a bad call. As I took the short hike from our tent to the bathroom, groups of men would holler at me as I passed by. Now, I had no idea what they're saying since my grasp of the German language leaves a lot to be desired. So it was a little easier for me to ignore, but I started going to the bathroom in pairs just in case. Now, 
in the past, people have actually reached out to me and they say, we're going to our first Grand Prix. Where should we go? What should we consider? Is it safe? And I've always said, yeah, of course, it's beautifully safe. It's wonderfully safe. This isn't European football circa 1988 or in some countries, 2020, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But I've always encouraged people to go because my experiences at the tracks and the events that I've been to have been wonderfully inclusive. But Mm -hmm. that's not to say that there aren't places where that isn't the experience. And I think what we saw and what was reported, widely reported, is atrocious. And I think the only other thing I'll add is if you are there and you're seeing this happen and you're not calling it out, You're part of the problem. And again, I never want to encourage people to be confrontational. I don't want them to create conflict. But if you're not calling it out, you're not going to security, you're not reporting it, you're not trying to support the people that are a subject of this, that's appalling. And I read comments from people that were sitting in grandstands and as young girls and young women would walk by the front of the grandstands, the entire grandstand would holler or sections of the grandstand, I should say. We're hollering absolutely horrendous things at these women. And these people are reporting this, but they're not necessarily saying or doing anything about this. And I by no means trying to victim blame. I just think if I'm sitting next to or standing next to somebody that's conducting themselves like this, I don't think I could tolerate that. I think I would either go to security or try to address it without being overly confrontational. But this Mm -hmm. is atrocious. I'm glad it's been identified and hopefully it continues to be highlighted when it does occur. Now, I'd also seen a couple of people on social media and in the press indicate that, hey, as a consequence of what happened in Austria, assuming these were all Max fans, which I don't believe was the case, and I think it would be very difficult to identify that that was the case, that we should cancel Zandvoort or we should run Zandvoort without fans. My sense is it needs to be the responsibility of the individual race organizers to officiate the behavior of the fans attending their race. Zandvoort is not consequential to what happened in Austria. What happened in Austria is consequential to the race organizers in Austria, and it needs to be incumbent on them to make sure that this can be an inclusive atmosphere and that this never happens again. Yeah, 100%, right? And, you know, just uh, one comment there. I mean, it's it's one thing to to hear that behavior and to to call people out. But, you know, and, and not to, like you say, to, to, to victim blame. I mean, it can be intimidating. Like, if there's like That's large true. groups of people that are harassing and making comments, I, I've read them. I, I've seen it, you know, like some of the stuff that's, you know, people have uh, talked about. If there's large groups of people, if there's 10 or 20 people shouting all this stuff, you know, and they, they're they all liquored up because they've been drinking in the stands since, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, there's a potential for that, uh, you know, somebody to stand up and that to, to be a flashpoint and things could right, go right. very, very wrong. But like you say, I mean, maybe you go to security, maybe you go to uh, an event host or something like that. There are there other ways to call out that uh, behavior without drawing attention to yourself and potentially making yourself a, a, a target. But, you know, like we say, I mean, this has no place in, in, in civilized society and, you know, at a sporting event or whatever it is, it's just wrong. And like I say, most people know this. Unfortunately, there are still people like out there that think this is funny or whatever, or they're just, you know, they are just bigots and full of hate, which is even worse. And, you know, not that, you know, making jokes about this sort of thing is, you know, excusable or you can brush that off. I mean, that's just about as bad anyways. But the other thing that's really, you know, is equally horrifying this week is, you know, as bad as that behavior was at the Red Bull ring, 
there's this uh, French uh, commentator, TV uh, commentator, who referred to uh, Lance Stroll as uh, as an autistic, you know, and th- this is, <laughs> I don't even Sorry, know. During a broadcast, during just to a clarify, broadcast. during yes. the F1 race broadcast. And and this is crazy as well. I mean, um, he described uh, Lance Stroll as the uh, autistic. His, you know, the the color person gave him the opportunity to 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 walk it back. He said, and and the, the translation is, you know, hey, that's too strong. You're going too far. But he doubled down. This guy doubled down and said, honestly, this is the truth. Now, uh, <laughs> excuse me. So the uh, RTBF, the, uh, the the broadcaster, condemned this. He's, I believe, he's been uh, suspended, and you know, and uh, they they said in a statement, uh, "quote RTBF strongly condemns the words used on Sunday, July 10th, by its on-air consultant uh, Lionel Frossard during the Austrian Grand Prix. Associating autism with the driver's way of communicating was misplaced and completely inconsistent with RTBF values. An internal investigation will be conducted to hear all the involved persons. The goal is to understand." In, uh, detail what could have led to this incident. Pending the results of this investigation, RTBF will no longer work with the consultant in question until further notice. End quote. Yeah, I mean, they, they do the right thing for, um, you know, uh, suspending this uh, commentator right away, but I, I, I don't even know, like, where this, this invest, investigation is going to go because, I mean, even if it was a slip of the tongue, the the, the color commentator, like I say, gave the, the this guy the opportunity to walk, walk it back, and then he doubles down on it. That's even worse. I mean, that's just like emphasizing his bias and you know this uh, you know these comments, and that just blows my mind in a million different directions. It's it's just insane. I actually believe this was premeditated, and I, I've read a lot. Yeah. I've read a lot about how color commentators and analysts that do live sports broadcasts prepare, and they have pages and pages of notes and observations and thoughts and stats and data. It's unlikely that this just came to came to his mind. My my thought is this was probably premeditated and something that he planned. And if it was, either he knew what the consequence of this shocking comment was going to be, and mm-hmm. he didn't care or he didn't understand, but he should have after his colleague tried to course correct him and he refused and doubled down on it. Now, something like this is frustrating because we see these things and it's so obviously a fireable offense and the network so often is like, well, we're going to do an investigation and we're going to interview people and like, what is there to investigate? Like it, it's a memo from exactly. HR to everybody in your company and you terminate this in person. Like it's termination with cause. So I think he's going to be gone. I think that's subsequently been reported, but absolutely shocking. Shocking that yeah. in 2022, that would make a live Formula One broadcast. Not a good look oh. for the sport. Oh yeah, yeah, I- exactly. I mean, they, they do the right thing by immediately suspending that per- person. But I mean, honestly, I mean, what kind of way can you dial that thing back? I mean, I you you can't. <laughs> I mean, the comments are just so in- you know, offensive, right? It's just, uh, it, you know, I, I don't know what any positives that can come out of that investigation other that, yeah, we suspended him and now we're, we're going to throw the book at him and, and, and sever ties. Um, just one other thing here. So apparently extra security is going to be at the Hungaro ring uh, next week after the, uh, the, the fallout from the incidents we saw at the, the Austrian Grand Prix. Um, I kind of hate to, to hear this sort of thing happening, but it's, it's a necessity. And again, I mean, people, all people, regardless of their backgrounds, how they identify, wh- whatever it is, you should not go to any 
any event or anywhere and, and feel unsafe. And, and and as much as I don't like to see this, I'm glad that it's there because I don't want to see anybody get into a, a bad situation. So uh, hopefully this is just, I, I hope this is just a blip on the radar and that um, in, in short order that, that this is, you know, this doesn't need to happen anymore, not because people are just not addressing it, but because it's just not an issue. So I really hope this is just a temporary measure. Okay, so we, we've gone from a couple of controversial subjects there to another. This is a controversial subject now, and this might be kind of a triggering topic for some people. I mean, especially for those uh, people who are fans of uh, Lewis Hamilton. And it's um, obviously going back and talking about the fact that Michael Massey, the former race director at Formula One, has now left the FIA. And this has been confirmed by the governing body. He was uh, removed after the, uh, you know, that you know, debacle that whole scenario that went down with the safety cars and the restart at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of people I think have a pretty legit claim to make that uh, that Lewis was lo- robbed of that uh, that race and that championship. I mean, I, I <laughs> you, you could twist it any way that you want, but the, the the fact of the matter is, even the best of circumstances, what Michael Massey did to restart that race was unusual unorthodox was bizarre and the the outcome decided a world championship so there's that yeah and i'm gonna sigh a little bit because both you and i predicted as did a lot of our listeners that this was coming i think from an optics perspective the fia pr the formula one pr probably got together and they recognized that to have fired him five or six or seven months ago probably would have been too on the nose and would simply have mm-hmm. validated the suspicions that everybody had yep. at the time that that championship was hijacked by human error, quote unquote human error, because that's what was ultimately in the FIA report. And I think it was, but I think it was incumbent upon them to buy some time and put some space between his departure from the FIA and the events of Abu Dhabi in the middle of December in twenty. 21. And I think that's what happened here. And I don't think he was contributing to the FI in a meaningful way. I think he was being paid his salary. And there was probably a consensus that he would depart the organization six or seven months later. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing now. And and you're right that I feel like sometimes I've made a little bit of peace with what we saw that weekend. And again, F1's an entertainment product. There are far more important things happening in the world that's worth mm-hmm. getting upset about. But Obviously, we were all so emotionally invested in that championship, and it literally came down to the last lap of the last race, and then that was the outcome, and I don't think it was what any of us wanted to see, and I think even most Red Bull fans would say that in their heart of heart, they would prefer to have seen Max win under other circumstances, but that was it, and again, the FIA ultimately determined that human error led to the outcome of the 2021 championship, and we live with it, but I think ideally, Massey should have been fired more quickly. And obviously, for the sake of optics and public relations, they chose to put some distance between the incident and the actual departure from the FIA. So again, not hating on not slandering. Michael Massey is a human being. I think you and I've talked about this before. The FIA has done some things to protect that role and isolate it from a lot of the other things that are happening during a Grand Prix. We still don't have, though, full-time dedicated stewards, which we desperately Mm -hmm. need. Um, And there's still countless other things they can do from an infrastructure perspective. So again, 
I feel Michael Massey wasn't necessarily set up to be successful. Again, it was human error and we we move on, but he's left the FIA and he's left the sport. Yeah. I mean, as much as you say, yeah, at the end of the day, it is just, it is a sporting event. It is an escape for, for a lot of us, but there is something to say about the integrity of the sport, the, the, the for institution, sure. For you sure. know, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, you know, it just uh, becomes like, um, you know, like pro wrestling, right. And you have to, sure. to, to wonder about it. So, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, I guess, uh, like you so, so correctly pointed out that this, this just seemed like it was going to be a matter of time. Now, this one, <laughs> this one, I, I have to to laugh a little bit, not because of the the story itself, but I was just uh, scrolling through the uh, the live chat, the, the the live chat here, the chat live stream, and there's been a little bit of chat going on about Monty Python skits, and I think Connie's kind of been piloting that one, and uh, she says at one point, says Honda's like a Monty Python skit. I'm not dead yet. I'm getting better. <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, the next story, I, I read that, I pull up the next story, and that is apparently Bertie Ecclestone, the former head of Formula One, is set to be charged at a $400 million fraud case. Daily, Daily let me take this pounds. one, and I promise I'll make it quick. So <laughs> if, and, and first of all, you know, I was actually talking about uh, Bernie Eccleston the other day with one of our listeners, Harmony, via DM. And, sure. and she was asking, like, can you guys actually do a show that for all of us new fans of Formula One can have some really detailed background on Bernie? I was like, that's actually a really good idea. Get a guest on, talk about how he contributed, this and that. But when this story popped up, the first thing I did was I went to Wikipedia and I searched for Bernie Eccleston. And I wanted to see how much of his bio is made up by Bernie controversies. <laughs> and it's a lot. So let me read some of these. So under controversies, there's a massive article on Labour Party controversy. There's a big article on tax avoidance uh, from 2008. And that was a massive scandal about him mm. avoiding taxes in Germany. And apparently there was bribes involved, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there was a issue in 2009 when he made some incredibly insensitive and controversial comments about Hitler. In 2012, mm. there was another major bribery accusation. There there had been ongoing comments about diversity and racism. Uh, he was caught illegally possessing a firearm. That was just a month or two ago that you and I talked yeah. about. W wasn't that in his suitcase or something at, yeah. uh, in Brazil? While boarding or a flight. Yep. He didn't pack it. It's his gun, but he didn't pack it. Um, of course, as recently as the 30th of June, he appeared on ITV's Good Morning Britain and made glowing comments about Vladimir Putin, said he would take a bullet for him, said he was a first-class <laughs> person, and argued that the Russian invasion of Ukraine was just a mistake that all businessmen make. He's since tried to poorly walk oh, wow. all of that back. And now wow, he's being wow. accused of fraud. And it's funny because I saw a comment on, I think it was Reddit and somebody had said, <laughs> they're like, I too always forget to disclose my private islands, inferring that that's exactly <laughs> what he has forgotten to disclose here. So that's enough well, on Bernie, but I would like to do a Bernie special one day if anyone's interested. Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, if you forget to pack your gun or like, or, or not to pack your gun in your suitcase, I mean, of course you're going to forget to declare your private islands somewhere. I mean... Wow. I mean, if you have so many, if you have so many, right? Yeah. Jeez. I mean, all those different things. I mean, just recently, some of the things that he said and done are just, are, are just incredibly poor judgment and bad behavior. But would you kind of read off that laundry list of poor decisions, bad things, and things you should never do anytime? I mean, 
that is extensive. I mean, how many pages was that? Is is his Wikipedia page? It must it must go on forever, ever, forever. Which also, by the way, is the perfect segue into our next highly controversial figure. Yes, and that is X Force India owner um, uh, Vijay Malia. He's been sentenced to jail uh, for participating in a court <laughs> order. I mean, uh. this, yeah. So th- this, I mean, that went around for a long, long time because, uh, you know, th- and that's part of the reason why Force India, they kind of went into onto life support and then Lawrence Stroll and his consortium came in. And then that's when it all went into receivership, which was really, uh, you know, triggered by uh, Sergio Perez uh, doing something was over, what was it, un- unpaid wages or salaries or something like that. And then that gave the opportunity for Stroll and his group to, to, to step in. Force India disappears. It becomes a racing point. Now it's Aston Martin. Anyways, uh, anyways, uh, to, to kind of recap here, uh, Malia moved from uh, to in- or from India to London in 2016. He denied he was fleeing India following a failure to pay debts, which totaled in excess of 840 million pounds. I'll just say that again, 840 million pounds. And that is just a, that's just a, a huge amount of money. So uh, previously, India had tried to extradite him back so he could face uh, charges, including fraud back in India. And this is all in regards to alleged financial irregularities at uh, at Kingfisher Airlines. So he lost an appeal at the High Court in London, and he is uh, still believed to be residing somewhere in the English uh, capital. So Daily, daily, again, daily. Again. I, I have VJ's Wikipedia page up. The controversy section is equally as large. <laughs> and I'm going to read the first sentence because this will sum up the former Force India owner. Once called the king of good times due to his extravagant lifestyle, Malia and his companies have been embroiled in financial scandals and controversies since 2012. At, at, by the way, at which point he was a member of parliament in India. Malia left India on 2nd of March 2016 after saying he wanted to move to Britain to be closer to his children. A group of 17 Indian banks are trying to collect approximately $1.2 billion in loans, wow. which Malia has, yeah, in, in loans, which in loans which Malia has allegedly routed to gain 100% or a partial stake in about 40 companies across the world. Again, <laughs> 17, 17 Indian banks trying to collect 1.2 billion, 1.2 billion in loans, which Malia has allegedly routed to companies all over the world. So another highly controversial figure amongst many controversial figures that have been a part of the uh, Formula One fabric. Wow. Well, it's just, uh, again, I just can't comprehend... Most of these things that just um, does not compute in my tiny mind. Anyways, let's talk about a couple of fun things here now. So Christian Horner, Red Bull team principal, has called upon Formula One and the FIA to look at a possible relaunch of normally aspirated V8 or V10 engines after Sebastian Vettel's outing in a demonstration run of a a Williams FW14B a couple of weeks ago at the British Grand Prix using carbon neutral fuel. And this is really, really exciting because, um, I mean, Number one, that's one of my most favorite cars of all time that had a Renault V10 in the back of it. And this is, this is really cool because this is something that we've been uh, talking about for a while. The, 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 
um, the possibility of more exotic, hybrid, sustainable uh, fuels, uh, carbon neutral fuels and things like that. Mark, I know that you're passionate about these uh, sorts of things. You like talking about them. Do you want to take this one or is this going to be like the uh, the Nick Heidfeld story before the, <laughs> before the last break? I prepared for this one. Stop it. <laughs> oh, I'm still, horrible. Dude, I'm horrible. I still can't find the Nick Heidfeld thing anywhere. I don't know how I injected that into your outline. I think this is a fun thing to talk about. It's never sure. going to happen. The, the the super compact, lightweight 1.6 liter V6 turbo that we have now is an ideal, ideal power plant for a turbo hybrid uh, power unit. It's fun to talk about V8s. It's fun to talk about V10s. They would be a marketing nightmare for Formula One. You can't talk about sustainability. And even if you're able to generate similar thermal efficiency and displacement efficiencies with one of those big engines, which wouldn't be possible. It's a marketing nightmare. Major brands are dropping V10s and V8s like crazy. To put one into a Formula One car creates a disconnect between the road relevancy of what the manufacturers are building and what we're seeing on a Formula One track. So it's fun to talk about. I love to see Formula One drivers take out these old cars. It's not coming back to Formula One. Yeah, I must admit that I love those old engines, but it was such a such a difference between the normally aspirated engines and the turbo hybrid uh, engines or power units that we have now. Because I always had this bad habit of going to races and sitting there with friends in the stands and not putting my, my earplugs in. And as soon as that race would start and the field would go by, your eardrums would literally begin to rupture. I mean, it, it just wasn't loud. It was painfully loud so i mean you'd be reaching for those like 25 cents little foam rubber <laughs> earplugs to put in your ears as, as soon as possible and then we went to, to spain in 2014 so the first year of the v6 turbo hybrid engines and i had like a, one of these little you know you, you get them at, at, at the tracks and they're on a little lanyard there's like a little plastic case you got the earplugs in them and i i had a set with me that uh, that weekend so did my wife i never took them out the entire weekend i mean the the, the, the engine now i mean they're awesome technology the, the sound has increased a little bit they're still not anywhere close to what they used to be do we have to go back to it yeah of course there's a lot of sentimental reasons for wanting to do so i mean That's number right one it's just sentimental yeah i mean i, I mean it's cool it, it's like going to see like um you know performance aircraft of any kind it doesn't uh, doesn't matter if it's like a military aircraft or a, a very big uh, airliner or something like that it's just something like hearing them feeling them experience them and it, it isn't quite the same as it used to be back in the normally in, uh, aspirated days but embrace these new engines for what they are they're they're unique they're cooler in their own way and I, I think it's a good thing that uh, they've been flexing on uh, um, you know, on the fact that they've had this turbo hybrid power for almost a decade now. And uh, yeah, I'd love to see it, but you know what? It's not going to happen. And at least you know, you do have the archives on F1 TV. You still have YouTube. If you want to get your fix, go look it up on YouTube, engage the headphones, and uh, you'll still get a pretty good idea of what uh, what they were like. Okay, a couple of quick uh, hits here. Um, first of all, uh, Laurent Rossi uh, says that an Alpine customer team in 2024 is uh, possible. This is an interesting one because uh, formerly when uh, Surreal Abitable was the, the big, uh, you know, the, the, the big cheese, they had a honcho, whatever you want to call them at uh, what would have been uh, Renault. He was a little bit indifferent to, to the fact of having uh, Renault customer teams. I mean, obviously that uh, relationship with the Red Bull soured over time. And <laughs> I think it was, uh, they were both both parties were happy to walk away from from that deal. But I mean, a, a beatable was, he was always very, 
you know, sort of talk it down that it wasn't really a, a big priority a priority for Renault to have a, a customer team. But obviously, a Beetapool is no longer there with the organization. Rossi is. And um, it'd be interesting to see who might want to be a, a, a Renault customer Williams. team. It's going to be Williams. It, whether, it, that's the whether, only logical choice, right? The, the interesting thing will be to see if they use the Renault branding, which has yes. limited global appeal, or whether potentially they try to broaden the global appeal and brand the engine Nissan, because of course the Renault-Nissan alliance is still somewhat together. It's it's obviously struggled and suffered a little bit over the last decade, but that's the potential. And I remember they would make those comments about not needing a, a customer team. You need a customer team. You're building these engines anyways. If you have a customer team, you earn tens of millions of dollars by supplying those engines. That's a revenue stream that teams desperately need. And the other thing that, that having a customer team adds is heaps and heaps of incremental data points of telemetry from the engines that you can only develop the engines based on data and you only procure so much data from the engines when they're on the track. And when you limit testing, you don't get as much data. So if you're running the engines in another team's cars, you get all this additional data, which allows you to develop the engine. So it's a good thing. I think Williams is done with that relationship with Mercedes. And I think this would be a, a great, a great place for them to go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next one is a health and safety thing. Apparently, uh, the FIA and Formula One is planning to talk uh, with the teams over carbon break uh, dust uh, concerns. Uh, four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel believes it's uh, time to change uh, brake duct uh, rules uh, this year because uh, there, there's been complaints uh, from him and also from other drivers like uh, Valtteri Bottas who are concerned about uh, breathing in brake dust uh, from from the carbon uh, brake pads and everything like that that go into the car. I mean, an amazing technology. You can take a Formula One car and basically bring it from a dead stop from 200 miles an hour in the space of 150 meters. It does kick up a lot of brake dust. The drivers are concerned about uh, you know, the, the, the health in, uh, implication. Bottas has even said he sneezed out black particulates after races. And I can't imagine that Super would be very good. stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. You, you certainly, you don't see it on a TV broadcast, but if you're close to the track and you see one of these cars absolutely screaming down in the corner and they jump on the brakes, you can see the cloud of brake dust. And this is highly toxic material. And when it's a road car, oftentimes if you go and wash your road car, when you're cleaning your wheels, it's oftentimes the brake dust that's attached mm -hmm. to them. So you're scrubbing it off and you typically want to use gloves because it's pretty toxic and you definitely don't want to breathe at any of this in. In Formula One, you jump on your brakes, the pads grind into the discs and a certain amount of that, that material poofs away, but it goes directly into the lungs of the drivers. And I actually have a story here that was linked to from Reddit, but this is from crash.net from 23rd of June, 2005. And it reads a recent routine operation for formula, formula one driver, Mika Salo has left the FIA with the job of determining just how much danger the current breed of carbon brakes are putting drivers in. So he had a recent routine, this article says, a recent routine operation for formula, former Formula One driver Mika Salo has left the FIA with the job of determining how much danger there is. He had a routine operation. And during that operation, the doctors discovered that his lungs were full of carbon, brake, disc, and pad material. Good Lord. Very, very, very scary. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like uh, one of the big concerns, you know, working in the construction industry is anytime you get into like an old building and sometimes we have clients that do 
renovations in old buildings, retrofit them, and you get like asbestos. And I mean, that is like a major hazard, you know, it's just like anytime they detect asbestos, that becomes like off limits because, you know, you get those those fibers go into your lungs, they can scar what is, I can't remember the, was it mesothelioma or something like that is the disease that it causes. I mean, it's nasty, nasty stuff. I mean, who, who's to say that this brake dust from from these carbon brake pads and discs, you know, could do the, the same thing to drivers. I mean, we're always talking about uh, drivers safety we're talking about safety for the mechanics everybody and the, and the marshals everyone around the track and it's not just to do with things like obviously survival cells and halos but th- these other things that aren't immediately you know as um, maybe top of the list of uh, health and safety concerns but uh, that is you know to hear that uh, that that recollection and that story from Mikasalo, that is that that's frightening that's that's scary stuff man now, this is the last uh, story that I have for, for tonight, and I don't know if this is uh, necessarily a, a quick hit, but this is uh, from Hazel. Th- uh, yeah, how can you tell we're, we're, we're getting to the end of the show? I almost cannot pronounce easy to pronounce names. Anyways, this comes from ESPN.com, written by Hazel Southwell, and it's the title is Formula E in Crisis Amid uh, a Manufacturer Exodus and Rival F1's Booming Popularity. So that is a very, very interesting question to ask because we've, <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it's, it's, it's peaks and valleys, it's ebbs and flows, because I guess you could make some of the same arguments in the past for, for Formula One, where you had like a lot of the big manufacturers coming and then going, then a lot of them surfaced in Formula E. And some of them have been recently been pulling out of Formula E saying, well, we've basically achieved everything here that we set out to do. And now we're looking for, for, for other challenges. But I think this is an interesting question to, to ask. What's your take on that, Mark? Well, for starters, super happy to see Hazel still writing about Formula E. It's her passion and she's been doing it full time for a couple of years now. I think it's a championship that is not necessarily equitable to write about because the viewership base isn't big enough. But it is an interesting topic. And I think sometimes we get criticized because we don't talk enough about India. We don't talk enough about Formula E. But quite frankly, given the frequency that we do our shows, Formula One keeps us super, super busy. And I think you and I would probably prefer not to talk about championships that we're not super totally invested in. I was very excited for Formula E this year. And this is speaking from a personal note. My wife and I, we bought tickets to the Formula E event that was going to happen in Vancouver. The event fell apart. The organizer vanished from the face of the planet and we've lost our money. So that leaves a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. I would like to see, and I'm going to use my platform here, FIA, you sanction that race organizer. They're gone with our money. You need to make those ticket holders whole. You vouched for their legitimacy when you gave them the event. That said, um, there is an event in New York that is a fantastic add to their calendar. A couple of great friends of the show, Bird, uh, Lily, they're both going to be there. I hope you guys have a fantastic time and I hope the weather's super cool. Uh, For both of you who have witnessed Formula One live, it'll be neat that you'll be able to draw that comp between the two of them. Uh, Formula E cars uh, uh, with groove tires on a street course versus a Formula One car with slick tires on a dedicated circuit. Super cool, super excited. And I hope you both send me lots of photos. But that said, I think this is an interesting article and it kind of speaks to the fact that there has been a lot of transition in the sport, manufacturers coming and manufacturers going. But mm-hmm. one of the things that she notes is, look, 
The budget cap in Formula E is $15 million. It's not a big investment for a team to come, and it's not a big investment for a team to go. And if they want to come, mm-hmm. it's not a ton of cost to set up shop in Formula E. Now, we are seeing Mercedes leave. They've sold their entire operation to McLaren and his Hazel States. They are going to keep everyone but the drivers, including the factory, the cars, the tools, everything. Audi is leaving and also BMW is leaving. When BMW left, this is what I thought was a little bit alarming. They're, quote, we've exhausted the opportunities for this form of technology transfer, meaning that they got into Formula E because they wanted to have the ability to innovate and develop technologies that they could incorporate into the road cars. BMW's criticism of Formula E is it's too much of a spec series and they don't get the opportunity to innovate, to which Mm. the FIA and Formula E will say, look, the only reason we can keep this series solvent and financially stable is by having a really strict cost cap and making it a spec series. So there's kind of this kind of ongoing tug of war between the two, but I still think Formula E has a ton of upside and hopefully it benefits from the craze in Formula One that uh, Indy's starting to see. But I'm still a little bit sour about the fact that Vancouver fell off the calendar. And I think that's a bad look for the FIA and I think it's a bad luck for Formula E. And hopefully they, they have a great event in New York and we can kind of move beyond the disappointment that was Vancouver. Yeah, totally. Uh, just a couple of things there that uh, I kind of picked up on. I, I think it was interesting, uh, you know, how you kind of um, explained that a little bit more about uh, BMW's departure from from Formula E, that they learned any everything that they could just because of the nature of being such a spec series. Because when you kind of think about it, I mean, I, I know that the connection between Formula One and this trickle-down road technology, this road relevance, is, is it's tenuous at best, right? But I mean, we have seen some things developed in Formula One, like traction control and um, and uh, ABS and these uh, you know semi-automatic paddle shift, you know, which a lot of cars have nowadays, right? I mean, so there there is the trickle-down effect, but it's it's interesting because they're still innovating on on engines. Sure, I mean it, it's the you know, the power units are not just an internal combustion engine anymore. It is plus all these other things like your MGUHs, your MGUKs, the battery, all these cool components that go on. I mean, it's been an iterative 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 there we go got it out eventually process and they're still innovating on the technology all around the car so i i can understand why they would cap it in formula e it's just unfortunate that this is some of the feedback that's that 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 they're getting it's like yeah it's good to have like a spec series but it's almost too far the other way it's like you have to give us that freedom to innovate and it's just like they should try and move that line a little bit further towards they they, they just got to strike that balance which i realize is not an easy thing to do especially when it comes to you know costs and money and everything like that and kind of goes back to the discussion we were having a little bit earlier about the uh, the, the cost cap in in formula 1 but I don't know, Mark. I, I think we managed to do it. Did, did we get through everything that we wanted? I mean, th- this is your chance now, my friend, to, to speak now or forever hold your peace because I was so pumped up off the beginning of the show here that I walked over like a whole bunch of uh, things. Oh, the one thing you did you talk about the merch? No, I think that so was the I one did, thing. So- 
so two other quick stories. I, I'm not even going to touch on these. I'll just read the titles. Uh, Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus has signed up to produce a series about Ferrari from the producers of Peaky Blinders. And Robert Schwartzman completed 100, now rocking the Israeli flag because, of course, he can't drive under the Russian flag. Robert Schwartzman completed 130 laps of Mugello in an SF21. His neck must be very, very sore. That is a very <laughs> challenging Formula yeah. 1 track. Just yep. on the merch piece. So I think we found a supplier. Um, I'm going to put up a poll in the near future because what I'd like to do is maybe one or two different colors of hoodie, either black or navy blue. I'll get a sense of whether people want a choice. And if they do, then we'll produce in both. Uh, the look is going to be, we we already have uh, a typeface. You can see it in our logo, that really classy Scuderia F1 with the really light podcast below it. That is going to be embroidered across the chest of the hoodie. On the sleeve, we'll have an embroidered maple leaf, a small one, just kind of as a subtle call out to us. And then potentially silk screened on the back or on one of the shoulders will be in cursive writing, always up to speed with Formula One, which is, of course, our slogan. Um, and it'll be kind of fun because anyone wearing this is probably a big F1 fan. It will apply to them as well and have kind of a double meaning. But the front will be embroidered. The Maple Leaf will be embroidered. If we can get the always up to speed with F1 embroidered as well, we will, depending on cost. Um, and it's going to be a champion template. So it's not going to be a really fancy custom cut, custom manufactured uh, piece of textile, but it will be a high quality, heavy, heavy stock um, champion hoodie. And hopefully we'll be able to start to delivering these just in time for the winter. Oh man, you, you just gave me a very, very hard choice to make between navy blue and black. I love the navy blue, but as you can tell right now, I'm wearing a black t-shirt. I got a black ball cap on. You know, black just tends to be one of my go-to, well, it's, black isn't technically a color, is it? But this is this is going to be a tough call. I, I, I like both of those both of those choices. So anyways, cool, cool. I can't last wait to thing, see those last rolls thing, up. Last thing, follow us on Twitter at Skidaria F1 pod for everybody that has recently given us, uh, for everyone that has recently given us a rating or review on Apple podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Normally we get a couple of written reviews a week. We get really excited. We screenshot them and share them with each other. Recently, we got an avalanche of reviews, like probably 10 or 11 in a really short period of time. Uh, they're honest, they're articulate, they're insightful. Thank you, everybody. And thank you to everyone else that sends us feedback. But I cannot stress enough how much that rating on Spotify and the ratings and the reviews on Apple Podcasts help us. So if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy what we do, please please, please give us a rating and a review. Um, and also, as Chucky just said in the chat, you can still join the Fantasy League. Although I apologize again, the Fantasy site is actually down, so I'm not able to provide an update, but we'll have one for you on the next show for sure. Awesome. So does that mean I can actually join our own league because I kind of spaced on the time you at the beginning of the year? shameful. <laughs> you are so shameful, my friend. I'm surprised yeah. you even have an F1 TV Pro subscription. Do you even watch the races? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I know you watch no, the races. No, I don't actually. I just rely completely on your very articulate and very dense and very detailed race recaps. I'm like, hey, I don't need to watch this stuff anymore because I know Hammy's going to come up with a great recap. But at least just give you me everything show up for the recap. I didn't even show up to it the last couple. So I appreciate, uh, I appreciate you always taking the charge. It's cool, a, man. It's all good. Well, that's it. Well, uh, thank you so much uh, for, uh, again, 
again. It's always uh, enjoyable to sit down with you on a, on a Thursday night and, and do this. And big thanks uh, to everybody that's uh, in the live chat on uh, on, uh, on the live stream tonight on uh, YouTube. And thank you to all of you for downloading and listening to the show. And uh, on behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, thank you for your time this week. You can give us a follow on Twitter at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. If you want to tweet us, uh, you can send us a tweet at ScooterF1Pod. And that's it. That's a wrap. Have a great weekend, guys. We'll be back uh, in a couple of days. Until then, talk to you soon. Bye for now.